and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm Sarah Sprickfeiner, senior reporter for Glossy Pop, and your host for today's episode featuring Violette Surratt, the mostly mononymous makeup artist, and the human behind the brand Violette FR. Violette decided to become a makeup artist as the result of a costume party. She put some glitter on a friend's face one night and inspiration struck. After pounding the pavement, in 2011, she was discovered by Vogue France, which helped to kickstart her career. Since then, she has worked with the biggest beauty brands in the world, Sephora, La Mer, Estee Lauder, and Guerlain. In 2016, she launched her YouTube channel, where she started to build a following. In 2021, she launched her namesake brand with a small assortment of products that went beyond makeup into skincare and even hair and fragrance. Since then, she has continued to build the brand across categories, not sticking to makeup in spite of the fact that it is what she built her career on. In today's Glossy Beauty podcast, Violette discusses her journey, her approach to product formulation, and how she defines French girl beauty. Here's my chat with Violette. Welcome, Violette, to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, when I think of you, I, you know, I there, I just think of like the epitome of French cool girl beauty. And I know that I'm not alone. I feel like every beauty editor would say that. And in the years since you've launched your brand, I think of your red lip and some of your sparkly eyes. And I think of, oh, I just, I have to add that I looked for, I want to say two years for the perfect lavender eyeshadow and didn't find it till you launched yours and wore it to the Taylor Swift, (laughs) wore it to the Taylor Swift era's concert. And it was like probably the most proud of my own makeup I've ever been. But for those of, (laughs) for people who are not, you know, beauty editors and watching every launch that comes out and and you know following the the well-known makeup artists how did you get your start what should people know about you and how you sort of you know became who you are today not just creating your own brand but working with Guerlain and just you know being an influencer in your own right as well yeah even though I struggle with that term for me at least influencer because it's not my my job in a way so but I get it. I, I would say <laughs> how we started is by accident, really, because I was in painting and fashion design. And then one night I had a costume party and we played with glitter with my friend on our faces. And I was like, maybe I could do makeup this way where you become the muse and I celebrate you with colors and it's not about aesthetic. And so I started this way on my own. I was 19 And I did that for a few years. And um, I think because I was a bit different from the people in the industry, because I never assisted, which usually is the path you're supposed to take. Um, Never went to makeup school, whatever. I got noticed, I guess. And so I was lucky enough to be able to meet with uh, French Vogue. And they believed in me. Thanks to them, I was able to start my career a little bit less scrappy and tough, let's say. And um, and then Dior came to me, so I became the makeup uh, designer, as well as doing the shows and still editorials and stuff. And then I started working with them and I did a bit of consulting for Sephora, the brand itself, to help them 
with their own brand and on different level from strategy to, to product development to communication, a bit of everything. And I have such good memory from this time. Then I did, um, I was a global makeup, I don't remember my title, like global, <laughs> <laughs> global makeup director, I can't remember, um, for Estee Lauder. So it's like a designer for uh, instead of a fashion house for beauty house. And then I did my brand and then Garlin came to me and now I am their global makeup uh, creative director. Uh, okay, so everything you just said, that is a whirlwind. So let's break it down a little bit. First of all, how long ago was that um, Halloween party you said? No, I wish it was for Halloween. It was for nothing. And why I say I wish is because when we arrived, nobody was costumed beside us. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was. Did I make that up? Was it not Halloween? No, it was a costume party. Like, it's just costume Oh, it was costume party. party. I mean, we okay. Thought. And you guys, we okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, did I completely make that up? Okay, so you so you said Vogue was the first, kind of your big break? Yeah, yeah. Tell French me more Vogue. about that. Like, how did they, how did French Vogue find you? So at the time, I was doing a lot of, like, free work to just make a book, a portfolio, and just try to make connection and stuff, and... So I was I was not having any private clients. Um, I just had this like editorial work, and then there was one person that I agreed to do as um, as a personal client. And the reason why I didn't want to do clients is because I really wanted to express the artistic side of the vision I had for this career. So I didn't want to get stuck into uh, the aesthetic side of it. But this woman, uh, Patricia Goldman, who is a very, very famous PR queen in France, was at the time, now she's in politics, but at the time she was taking care of all the biggest fashion brands and Vogue, etc. And I really liked her personally. So I said, you know what, I will, I will do it. I will do it for you. And she was like, you know, this auntie that loves you and is never objective because she's like, she has goggles eyes, basically, love goggles. <laughs> Every time I went to do her makeup, she was just staring at me while, while I was doing her makeup. And then she would say, one day you'll be a star, Juliette. And every time I was like, oh my gosh, shut up. <laughs> like, I didn't. I was brushing it up, making fun of her telling me this. What I didn't know is the, in the background, she was talking about me to Karin Rothfeld. Wow. Until one day... Karen was like, okay, fine, I'll meet with her. So that, that yeah, that was a huge help. Huge. So you go to meet with Kareen, and how long ago is this? I can't say it with your beautiful accent, but you go to meet with Kareen in what, what year is this? Uh, oh, my gosh, I'm so bad with, I think I was 21, I'm 39 Okay, wow. And what what happens? I just, I like, I'm really fascinated by, you know, in the beauty industry, we have these celebrity makeup artists or these celebrity hairstylists. And it's like, and, you know, I recently, one of my most recent episodes of this podcast was with Patrick Ta. And it's just like, you know, you don't just wake up one day and have a brand or have Gigi Hadid no. as a client. So I'm just always trying to, and in this podcast, break happened. down for our listeners, like, yeah, how it happens. So like, you get a meeting with Kareen, which, you know, so many people, it's something, a meeting like Devil Wears Prada, a million girls would kill for, whatever. What happened in that meeting? Yeah, it's funny because uh, I still remember it like it was yesterday. So what, one of the things that I think 
caused problem when I started is that I really enjoyed being a woman and so I enjoyed being myself. I was young, I was free, I was wearing red lipstick, skirts and heels sometimes, whatever. I was just enjoying myself, you know, I wasn't, yeah, 19 years old, not 20 maybe at the time, 20 years old. And um, and I had a few people telling me, you know, you should look more humble because you don't want the talent to be feeling like you want to steal the light, like the spotlight or whatever. And and I said, what does that mean, looking physically more humble? And I've noticed that all the makeup artists I saw at the time were indeed trying, I mean, they were all beautiful, but they were indeed trying to almost disappear. And I thought, no, like I, if I was a talent, if I were a talent, I would see a, a glam team Having a style and a personality will make me feel confident and secure. Like they got me, they know what they're doing. So I didn't agree with that. And I said, well, either I do this job my way or I don't do it. So I stayed true to myself. And when I did a meeting with Karine, then I kind of made a point to really be myself and not shy at all because I wanted her to see what she had in front of her and then she decide what she wants to do basically. So I had this like high raise skirt, very like uh, a jupe crayon, and then um, this top, heels, red lipstick, everything that will make everyone cringe on set, usually. <laughs> and that did the opposite for her. She was like, oh, you're a French Vogue girl. And I was shocked because the first time that somebody was like, it's fine to be however you are. She didn't care that I never assisted anyone. That was also another problem for me. She... She saw my portfolio that was crazy artistic. She wasn't scared of it at all. She said, I want to see you as a creative director. I want you to art direct all you should do five stories for me. They, of course, as test, not for the magazine now, as an art director and a makeup artist so I can see what you do when you're totally free. And so I thought that was the most incredible opportunity for me personally also to see where I go with that and also for, for, for this so I worked on that for two months. I took it very seriously. I were I saw I think 120 models. I only wanted to see new faces. Um, I worked with new photographers. I worked with zero retouching, ever. And at the time, it was very very retouched. That was on trend. Um, and I printed like a book, a magazine. I put text on it, copies. Like I really did like a magazine, and I sent it to her. And I was so nervous. Um, she loved it, and right away I had my article in French Vogue calling me the new face of fashion. I couldn't believe it, and that was it. That's how we started. That's incredible. Okay, so then that makes sense that then Dior came calling. Is that kind yeah. of, that was next? That came like a year after, yeah. Wow, okay. So flash forward about, you tell me, when did you launch your own brand? April 21. 21. Okay. And you launched, uh, and one thing that you and I have talked about, we did a story together when you launched your serums. You didn't launch with just makeup, um, which of course would be the thing I think that would be the most obvious expected of you as a makeup artist. Tell me about, you know, A, the decision to launch a brand at all. We all talk so much of you. There's so many products out there. There's new stuff every day. Um, why did you want to launch a brand and, and why did you want it to not be just makeup? You really come back to 
my my first steps, even before Karine, when I started makeup, I had zero money. So I decided I wanted to make up my way. So then next step is I went to the bookstore, opened a book by Kevin O'Quinn to learn makeup because I had no idea what to do. And um, then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Sephora, buy products. And then I realized, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. There's no way I can create my kit with this. And then I see Mac selling pigments, mix and medium, like basically raw materials. My training in art is this. I learned how to, from pigment, how to create paint. So I was like, okay, this I know. So basically I had this small kit, this small like, like valise, it's called in French, luggage that's still in my office in leather, like from the 50s. And you open it and all you had was pigments and base to mix things and arts palettes. So like really like a mad lab. And I would create my own eyeshadow on set, my own everything, lipstick. And I created molten eyeshadow and like velvet lipstick. And I realized, wow, why don't I see any of this texture on the market? So that was the first thing where I was like, okay, I'm going to do my brand. So that was back when I was 19 years old. I'm going to do my brand and I'm going to make those textures. And I made it. Petal Bush is a velvet lipstick and Zubaint is a molten eyeshadow. So I was, I, I, you know, hold on to this idea for so long. Then for skincare, um, for 20 years doing makeup, I would say 98% of the skin I've touched have some sort of inflammation, which is normal. It could be a skin barrier completely damaged or acne or red, like redness, anything. And I have this model in front of me. I have to create this makeup. For some of them, we don't even have any retouching because it's videos, especially at the time. And I have to create this look very quickly and it's focused on beauty, so it's on me. And sometimes I remember having the skin of the the skin barrier so damaged that no foundation was like grabbing on the skin. It was sliding, sliding. And so with my assistant at the time, that right now is my right hand in at Gala, so it's funny we 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 go way back. I thought of um we were like, oh my gosh, how can we create a product that will really heal the skin immediately, help makeup? And so right away that became the, a dream of mine. And at the same time, when I started to work on the brand DNA, my brand pillars, it's like, you know what, I'm here to complete and I'm not here to compete. So I'm not going to do whatever exists already on the market. There's so much going on. How can I be sustainable as possible by producing? Because when you produce, you're part of the problem. So what can I do? That's when I realized, focus on what doesn't exist. Anyway, that's what excites me the most. So we're not going to do foundation. But we're going to do skincare to help you heal your skin. And that works really well for us because at the end of the day, my message is I'm creating color for you to celebrate yourself and have fun, really have fun and celebrate yourself. And I'm creating skincare and hair care for you to take care of what Mother Nature gave you, which goes with a big connection with my culture, uh, philosophy, beauty philosophy. By that, you mean sort of like the French girl beauty yes. philosophy. What, how would you sum that up in, you know, a couple sentences? Well, we just want to be happy and we think to be happy, we have to love ourselves. And for that, if we think that if we change our features or transform our faces, it's going to be harder to love the raw version of ourselves. We're always going to look like, we're always going to love more that other version that's more perfect. And so we went the route of accepting the raw of 
accepting the imperfection. And also, I think it's Coco Chanel who said that, like, if you are different, it means you're unique. And if you're unique, you're irreplaceable. And we cannot love that difference. <laughs> so it goes to there. I want to come back to your skincare, but just quickly, you know, you're in your New York office as we speak. How has, how has working in New York impacted your view of beauty? It's good because in France, I think that's why I wanted to, I would say I want to create, I want to have my company in, in New York because I wanted to have as a company a French car with American gas. <laughs> Basically. And when I moved to New York, what I loved is the diversity in personality, in, in so many shape or form that inspired me very much. Because in my country, even though people come from different places in the world and we have this one style. And I think that's why, in a way, it's successful in the, for, for other people that outside of France. It's because they can recognize it because it's so strong. that It's very easy to be like, okay, this is French style. The problem of that is that we don't really get out of that style. We're very scared to get out of it. And that's something... So on, on, you could say, like, on the American side, I'm trying to inspire the French way, which is celebrate your uh, authenticity and your imperfection. And if you want to look effortless, you have to be effortless, etc. And for the French, I'm trying to inspire them to dare a bit more, to don't be, not be stuck in their own aesthetic. You know, it's like we say in French, vast communicant. It's like uh, what goes in one direction also helps the others. So it's like both, both routes. So you have a couple skincare products like a moisturizer and a mist, which is more than a mist. I'll let you talk about that. And you have another one um, that's just launched. Um, tell me about those and and not only about those products, but how they sort of work hand in hand with your anti-foundation philosophy. <laughs> yeah, so the first product we launched was Boom Boom Milk with Today Our Hero, which is a serum toner and moisturizer in one. It's a spray. It's a liquid cream, basically. This is really focusing on skin health over time. And so it improves pigmentation, it improves um, balance of the skin, hydration, radiance. Like I was telling my chemist, I want this to be like your the best diet, the best gym for your skin, like the best, you know, sleep in a bottle for your skin, everything you dream about for your skin. And so we worked on this for four years. It's 99% natural. It's gold, liquid gold to me. And so once we've done that, then we launched a cream, which is Seda Cream, which is with prebiotic. Boomomink is probiotic based and Seda Cream prebiotic. And this one is a barrier which is really going to lock boom boom milk in and protect from the inventable. Sorry, it's really hard for me to say this word, like the external aggression, let's say, and, mm. um, and also add moisture. Uh, so the two works really well together. And I think if you take care of your skin that way and you have this constant routine, you'll see such change in your skin that you might you may not think anymore you need foundation. And I even hope, like, even if it's not to the point that you feel like you don't need foundation, you come to that realization that you don't need foundation also, I think. Um, so it's really kind of like our foundation in skincare. And then you have the serums and now the new liquid bandage, which I hope I'm getting the name correctly. 
Um, tell me more about those and, you know, why this new addition made sense to be a part of the line. Yeah, so the serums are, again, a dream of mine because I have contact dermatitis. So every time I put something on my skin, I have a reaction and I travel a lot. So my skin sometimes can be dehydrated or tired and I have olive skin. So during the winter, I can look really dull. So I was thinking of all these like little issues I personally had and also all the little issues I've seen with people I did makeup um, on. So I was like, what if I can do like the French pharmacy to go for your skin? Like a first aid kit for your skin. Five serums are really small, super potent, super strong, natural though. And in 48 hours, for most of them, can really help you solve an issue. And you can travel with it. Um, and if you don't want to buy the whole kit, you can buy them individual, which is great because for me, some, some of them, I drink them almost. So that was our newest launch. And tomorrow we're launching Invisible Bandage, which also came from a story of mine where when I moved to New York, I, um, I got a laser treatment for the first time, probably the last time actually, um, because it put the wrong setting and it burns my face. So I had like scars everywhere. And I had to do a press tour for a foundation and I had to put foundation on the wounds. And I was so like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get this infected. Like I was so worried about it. It's like, I, I wish I had like a healing bandage that is transparent, like a top coat. I put it on, heals, help me heal, protect, and then sometimes prime for makeup. Because you know, when you have a blemish or a cut or whatever, you try to put makeup on, it doesn't work. So that was my dream. So we've been working on it for four years as well. Wow. Okay. And you've started sort of teasing that to customers. Yes. And yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, I feel like it's a good time to be um, an expert founder. Um, you know, we're seeing a resurgence of people wanting credibility from their brands. You know, we've had countless people who, uh, and some of them do well, but who are like, some of them do more than well, some of them do amazingly, but we've had a lot of people who are like, you know, I have a YouTube channel and now here's my makeup line or I've been in a bunch of big Hollywood movies and now I did a, you know, skincare brand or whatever. And it, th these are still launching every day. I see it in my inbox. But what I also see is that uh, dermatologist-founded brands, uh, esthetician-founded brands, and makeup artist-founded brands are doing really well. And I think part of that, you know, comes from... Um, the fact that people have access to so much information and content and the content that they want to consume, you know, there's so much that for people to learn. I mean, I could listen to your makeup tips for hours. Are you seeing that sort of demand from your community and how is that sort of playing out? Well, I don't know if I see it from my community, but I, I've, I feel strongly about the fact that this branch should be more about founders that are experts in their field because it was a bit frustrating for me when I wanted to launch my brand. I've been working on it basically for 15 years and I've been researching for 15 years and doing my homework for 15 years. And that's all I focused on. And then you launch a brand, but it's drowned in the ocean of other brands. And I always welcome founder, expert founders brands because I know how much passion they put into it, how much work they put into it. They dedicated their whole life for this. And so they deserve a space in the market and a trust. And so when you see someone that's just 
famous for something else, another art doing this. I understand some of them are just doing this for business. Some of them are really passionate about beauty. I'm not saying they're not. But the problem is that it's just like I used to say there's space for everyone, but now there's so many beauty brands that I don't think there is anymore, really. And I feel like to me, at least personally, I invest more in a brand founded by an expert because I know how much training and research and passion there is behind. And that's all we have. Like we build our whole life around this. It's better work. And there's no secret if your products are not good, it's not going to be a success. So we have to have good products. So it's also a guarantee of, for most of us of a, of a, a trust you can have with the products. What are some brands that, that you sort of love because you respect the founders? Like Danisa Mirix, I love, I don't know if I say her name right, mm. but I absolutely adore her products. I wear them all the time, put them in my videos. And uh, her whole story also is, uh, is amazing. No, I love that. I wasn't expecting you to say another makeup brand. Oh, and yes. I, I love that you did. I love her too. She's Danessa is the best. Yes. She's a, she's a good one. Yeah. Why, why did it take 15 years to launch the brand? Because I was not in a rush. Um, I knew that when I will launch my brand, I will have one shot. Like, it's my name on it. If, I, if this doesn't work, I mean, I'll do something else, but not that. And I had to, I really wanted to express myself on the creative side do more research in product development. And also I wanted to keep learning from brands I work with because this is the most incredible training I ever had. And because I was not in a rush, I knew like I'll keep going for the experience until I feel like it's okay now, I it's the time to do it. And so I waited for a while before, like, yeah, like 10, 10 more, actually 15 full years in industry before doing my own brand because now it's been 20 years I'm in the industry. Um, so, yeah, I think not being in a rush is a bit key. The brand is still primarily, I know you have some distribution in French pharmacies, but primarily direct-to-consumer, correct? Yes, we just launched at Mecca in Australia and New Zealand, and uh, we also launched at Oh My Cream in Europe, which has a few stores France, Belgium, Switzerland, and London. As far as U.S. distribution, do you want to keep it primarily direct-to-consumer? Not so much. I'm really, I always believe in retail. I think people want real experiences, and I think the brand has so much to offer in person. And we saw when we did our pop-up at the Bon Marché in February, March, it was a huge success, way beyond our expectation. And I think a part of it is because of the experience we offered. I always say we're doing a service job. We offer service to people. We want them to feel good. Like we're not trendsetter and we're going to tell you what to do. And we're going to tell you what's good. No, no, I'm thinking, how do you feel? How can I help you feel good about yourself? And so it's really, it really comes with a service. And um, I always wanted to do retail is just that the brand is kind of weird in a way, you know, we do hair, skincare, makeup, like <laughs> none of the products, you understand them right away. Like it's kind of weird. So I thought if I launch right away with a big retailer and nobody knows me, 
I was afraid that the brand would be super diluted. So waited a little bit. Then I went on with the makeup because I heard they were amazing partner to build a brand. And Australia is unfortunately too, too far for us to really manage it. So that was a perfect partner. And so now for the US, I'm talking to a few people to see who gets the brand the most and can help us build the brand in the US as well. What are the best sellers for the brand these days? Uh, in skincare, Boom Boom Milk by far. It's really, uh, yeah, the, the sherry of uh, <laughs> the brand for skincare. <laughs> and makeup-wise, Bisou Bomb, number one, and then Zio Paint as well. But Bisou Bomb is our bestseller. Okay. So what, what can you tell us, you know, just, you know, before we wrap up, what can you tell us about the future of the brand? Like you said, it is a unconventional brand. You've dabbled in fragrance. You've dabbled in hair, skin. Yes, makeup, but again, in an unconventional way without, you know, delving deep into complexion, which is, you know, usually such a mainstay of a cosmetics brand. What what are your goals and what can you share about plans for the future? I think my, my goal for the brand is... Um is really to be able to develop itself without losing of its soul and DNA. I think that's a big challenge for us. Um, I always say, like, I want to create a niche brand with a global reach. And I think by the niche aspect, I mean authenticity, closeness, intimacy with our customer. And uh, I want to grow, of course, but I always say I'd rather take the stairs than the elevator because I want to build like a maison, you know, a modern maison. Something that here to stay with like almost like a designer behind it. So, and um, I want to expand to things you don't expect me to do. So we have a few things coming in a few months. I'm very excited about. I always want to surprise you and help you through those surprises and through those products, really helping you feel good with yourself. And that's the philosophy is um, very anchored in uh, in the brand. Amazing. Do you plan to keep that growth cross category as you have? Yes, absolutely. It's doing well for us. I'm I'm still surprised to this day that uh, all the categories are pretty much uh, balanced. So yeah, we're going to keep doing this. No, it's amazing. I don't think that every brand could pull that off. Um, thank you so much. I think that's really everything um thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so for having me thank you so much thanks for tuning in to the glossy beauty podcast our theme music is by otis mcdonald please don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening 